You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I was deeply saddened to learn first thing in the morning before I could even get out of bed that the middle-aged wives of prominent evangelical Christian leaders have better game than I do. I have been to swimming pools. I have swam. I have swummed. I've swam in swimming pools. I have lusted in my heart after pool boys, but I am no Becky Falwell. That's assuming it was Becky and not Jerry. That would be Jerry Falwell Jr., prominent Christian leader and recently suspended president of Liberty University, who first picked up Giancarlo Granda, a then 20-year-old pool boy that the Falwells met at a pricey Miami Beach hotel back in 2012. Again, that's something I've never done. The Falwells, of course, are obscenely wealthy and prominent evangelical leaders, because half of Mr. Falwell's DNA once resided in the fetid ball sack of Jerry Falwell Sr., founder of the Moral Majority, an organization that tormented gay people in the 70s and 80s, who also founded Liberty University, a conservative Christian college where students can be expelled for drinking, fornicating, thinking gay thoughts, committing actual adultery, doing witchcraft, and until very recently, opposite-sex hand-holding. Same-sex hand-holding, of course, being banned by the whole gay-sex banning thing, but opposite-sex hand-holding was specifically banned until very recently. Jerry Falwell Jr. was put on indefinite suspension a few weeks ago after he posted a photo to Instagram of him doing things that would get a student expelled from Liberty University. Falwell was standing with his arm around a woman who isn't his wife, both of them with their pants open and pulled down, their crotches showing, and their shirts yanked up to their tits. They're on a yacht, and Falwell, who looked drunk in the photo, had a drink in his hand. And Falwell sure sounded drunk when he called into a Christian radio show first thing in the morning to explain away that photo after it went viral. You know, it was weird because she could she was she's pregnant, so she couldn't get her she couldn't get her pants up. And so I was like trying to like my I had on a pair of jeans that I haven't worn in a long time, so I couldn't get mine zipped either. I think it was as much that call as that photo that got Falwell suspended. But this wasn't the first whiff of scandal that's attached itself to the first evangelical Christian leader that endorsed Trump in 2016. We've known actually about this pool boy for years. We've talked about him on the top of this show before, a long time ago. Jerry and his wife, Becky, met a pool boy, befriended that pool boy, flew that pool boy around on their private jet, invited that pool boy to stay in their home, and then helped that pool boy purchase a hostel for young people who visit Miami Beach specifically to fornicate. Over the weekend, Falwell released a statement seemingly out of the blue, blaming all of his recent bad actions on Becky. He was out of control because Becky had an affair, and instead of seeking Christian counseling, the Falwells tried to deal with it privately, and this person Becky had an affair with had attempted to extort them, and the pressure of this led Falwell to pull his pants down and take a picture and post it to Instagram. All of Falwell's various lapses in judgment, which included routinely sharing photos of his wife in lingerie with other men at Liberty University, stemmed from that, from that affair. It's all Becky's fault, not Jerry's. Jerry's the victim here. Won't somebody please think of Jerry? 
On Monday morning, we found out why Falwell released that statement so seemingly out of the blue. He was, as many people speculated on Twitter, trying to get in front of a damaging story, a story that confirmed what we'd already assumed about the pool boy. In a claim likely to intensify the controversy surrounding one of the most influential figures in the American Christian conservative movement, a business partner of Jerry Falwell Jr. has come forward to say he had a years-long sexual relationship involving Falwell's wife and the evangelical leader, Reuters reported. Giancarlo Granda says he was 20 when he met Jerry and Becky Falwell while working as a pool attendant. Starting that month and continuing until 2018, Granda told Reuters or Reuters that the relationship involved him having sex with Becky Falwell while Jerry Falwell looked on. And the pool boy, he has the receipts. Photos, text messages, screen grabs, DMs, all of which he shared with Reuters. While to some, it looked ungentlemanly the way Falwell threw his wife under the bus, I imagine she's fine with it. Becky Falwell, who serves on the advisory board with Women for Trump, seems to enjoy the money and perks and power of her husband's position just as much as he does and no doubt wants him to get his old job back. Becky likes yachts seemingly just as much as Jerry likes watching other men fuck his spouse. He liked to watch from the corner of the room, Granda told Reuters. You know what? That I've done. Watch someone else fuck my spouse. I mean not watch someone else fuck Jerry Falwell's spouse. Two things interest me here, two things beyond the hypocrisy or besides the hypocrisy. First, why would Falwell take the risks he's clearly taken over the years? This news about Granda comes as no surprise to anyone who's been paying attention to the stuff Falwell's been putting out there on social media forever. Anyone familiar with the kinks of hot wiping or cuckolding long ago would have concluded that Jerry's a cuck. But considering his position, you would expect Falwell to be the most cautious and careful cuckold who ever got cuckolded, who ever watched a hotter, younger man fuck his wife. But Falwell was not cautious. He was reckless. Why? Well, the risk is sexy, obviously. Risk gets the adrenaline flowing. People have sex outside in parks for the same reason Bill Clinton got those blowjobs inside the Oval Office. Because the risk of getting caught is a turn-on. But I think there's something else here, something that, uh, as much as it pains me to say, humanizes this toxic, racist, hateful piece of shit just a bit. Jerry Falwell Jr. wanted to be seen, seen as a sexual person, as a desirable person, as a sexually successful person, despite his parentage, despite the position he inherited, despite the gilded, shitty cage he refused to fly. We all pay lip service to keeping our private lives private, but at the same time, because we are each of us a mass of contradictions, we do want to be seen, all of us. We want people to know who we are sexually. For some people, it's enough to be known by one other person, by your sex partner. Others have a few friends they confide in about their weekends, and others still have only fans accounts where they put their weekends out there. But lots of people today drop hints all over social media and hope that their followers, maybe not all of them, but some of them, connect the dots so they can be known. But if you're dropping hints on social media about the boys you pick up poolside with your wife and you're the leader of a conservative Christian university, yeah, your life could be upended if too many people connect too many of those dots. Some people want the risk. They want to walk that razor's edge, but they really don't want to get caught. But some people do, and I can't help but wonder if this wasn't Falwell's desire to get caught 
If this wasn't Falwell slamming his hand down on the self-destruct button, on the eject button, engineering his exit from Liberty University and finally freeing himself from his father's legacy. Or maybe it's simpler than that and hornier than that. For lots of cuckolds, being publicly exposed is the ultimate fantasy. So this, what's happening right now, the news stories we are reading right now may not be what Falwell feared, but what Falwell wanted, which means it's entirely possible, as awful as it is to contemplate, that Jerry Falwell Jr. has had an erection that's lasted longer than four hours and needs to see his physician. Even more distracting, even more awful to contemplate, knowing we know and knowing we're all out here talking about it, maybe what made Jerry so hard and keeps Jerry so hard. So we're all pool boys now. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and coincidentally enough, an interview we already conducted coming up in the Magnum edition, Venus from the Venus Cuckoldress podcast joins us to talk all things cuckolding. We don't talk about all things cuckolding because we didn't talk about Jerry Falwell Jr., but all the rest of the things cuckolding we do talk about. That's on the Magnum that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, more guests, no ads. Coming right up. Hey there, Lovecasters. Sending in a quarantine sexual success story. So about two weeks ago, some college friends were setting up to have an online meeting and one of our friends was going to stream a movie for all of us to watch. But the key was we kept all of our videos off while all of our audios were on. This way we could hear all of our friends laughing like they were all in the room as we were all watching the movie together. Now, my spouse and I have seen the movie before. And about 10 minutes into the film, they lean in and kiss me on the cheek. I turn back, kiss them on the lips. They put their hand on my leg. I push them down onto the couch, and as they moved their finger to mute themselves over the meeting, I held their hand and held their finger above my lips as if to give the shh, not now. And uh, we ended up fucking right on the couch, quietly, with our mics live, and no one else was the wiser, as everyone else was just watching a movie, having no idea that we were doing a, a reverse voyeurism thing, and it was just this great sudden crazy fling. It really changed up uh, the diversity of our sex lives, and uh, I, I would feel awful, A, if our friends never found out, B, if our friends ever fell out, and C, when we eventually do it again. Crazy how you want them to know, but you don't want them to know. In particular, you don't want them to know because you want to do it again. And if they find out, they might not want to watch a movie with you again unless you leave the video screen on so they can monitor your behavior at all times. That was a great sex success story and a quarantine success story. A little bit of secret perving never hurt anyone so long as you are diligent about keeping your secret perving secret. All right. If you want us to start next week's show with your quarantine or just sex success story, give us a call 206-302-2064 and share. And if you're a little bit more ambitious and you have a five-minute story, erotica, true experience, planning an experience that you want to share, we have a new podcast, 5-Minute Fuck. To submit to 5-Minute Fuck, go to 5minfuck.com. Hey, Dan. Bisexual female, late 20s from the Midwest. I was calling with a question. I recently fell totally, totally hard, hard in love with a trans guy. They were wonderful. It was so exciting. And I don't know. I felt like I had like never felt love before a few weeks 
into it or maybe like a month or two into it, they totally switched on me and became a totally different person, unrecognizable to me. And anyway, long story short, we are not seeing each other anymore. I told my good friends about this and my friend told me that a friend of a friend was dating a trans guy too, who also exhibited the same like personality switch, became this totally different person that was unrecognizable. And I'm just wondering if that is like a trend, like something I need to be careful with if I date trans men in the future. Obviously, I have nothing against the community and I know plenty of other lovely trans men. So I just was wondering if, is this a thing? Is this a trend or is it just a coincidence that this happened to me and it also happened to um, a friend of a friend? My money is on coincidence. Perhaps it's less about transness and more about twentiesness when people are inventing and reinventing themselves. There's also this kind of Potemkin self thing I've talked about. When you first meet somebody, you kind of, you know, put on your best self. You build your little Potemkin village about your personality. And ideally, when you finally get to see the real self, it resembles the Potemkin self. It, you know, the Potemkin self is a kind of rounding up to the best possible version of yourself. And that's what you present to someone you begin to date. And the benefit in that is you kind of have to live up to that version of yourself if you get into a long-term relationship. It's one of the things about getting into a long-term relationship that can make, ideally, both people better versions of themselves because they have to live up to the lie version of themselves, the Potemkin version of themselves. But sometimes people, you know, construct a saleable, marketable person that they put out there when they're on the apps or they're dating or they're meeting people in their bars. And when that collapses when they relax and let down their guard and reveal their true selves, well, it's a shit show. And the Potemkin version wasn't this kind of gentle lie, this rounding up, this, you know, plastering over the cracks, but a facade that was masking for a lot of unpleasantness or just, you know, a person or personality that you're not attracted to and that you didn't sign up for, even if they're not toxic or horrible. So it could have been that if these guys went on hormones just after you started dating them. A lot of people who transition, I've read a lot of stuff and heard a particularly interesting This American Life episode about this, about uh, trans men when they transition and begin to take hormones, it can impact personality. And it is a bit of a roller coaster at first. Maybe that's what happened. But I think if that's what happened, you would have mentioned that in both these cases, that you began to date a trans man who then went on hormones and then there was this personality change. But that doesn't seem to be what happened. So my money is on coincidence. My money is on the Potemkin village self collapsed and behind it wasn't something similar, but something awful or its opposite. And when it comes to you know gender minorities or different kinds of relationship models, there can be this tendency for people who are in the dominant groups to misattribute something that, oh, this trans person I was dating did this, that's about transness, as opposed to that just being about that person. And you people don't tend to do that when they are dating someone who is just cis. They're not going to attribute bad behavior, even if there's a pattern of bad behavior from man to man, cis man to cis man that they date to the cisness. Maybe they'll attribute it to the maleness or maybe they'll attribute it to nothing except bad luck. And you see it in non-monogamous relationships. If a non-monogamous relationship doesn't work out, it's not the norm. Everyone blames the non-monogamy. When a monogamous relationship doesn't work out, no one blames the monogamy. Even at times when it's clearly monogamy, that was the problem. That wasn't working for the two people who were trying to make a monogamous relationship work. So be on your guard against those kinds of prejudiced misattributions and 
I think, absent any other evidence, absent evidence that they just went on to hormones while you were dating them, that you have to attribute this to a coincidence and the Potemkin village collapsing. Dan, hi. I'm a 29-year-old verse dyke working as a full-time nanny in a highly surveilled East Hamptons estate during this pandemic. Like many, I'm extremely horny and would love nothing more than to mask up and get it on, but there are no lesbians within a fuckable radius. I'm no zoomosexual, so I added men into the mix. Apart from all the fish pick boat boys, I did find one to go on a date with in a spacious nature preserve, and I immediately fucked it up. I nervously talked, self-sabotaged the entire encounter. I awkwardly tried to pass a straight. I was dodgy about my desires and insecure in my rusty hetero pursuit. Can you help me figure out how to approach future dates where I have some comfort in my occasional, my occasional identity so I don't feel like I'm misleading or manipulating the dude? What disclosure is called for? Is my search for a walking dildo inherently shit? And should I just wait it out and suffer solitarily? Well, I hope the security team at your highly surveilled East Hampton estate isn't monitoring podcasts for thought crimes. Look, instead of trying to cover up who you actually are, instead of putting yourself in an awkward position where the other person picks up on the awkwardness because you are pretending not to be the verse dyke who's settling for dick because dick's all you can get where you're at right now, that's what you lead with. You are a lesbian identified by dyke and you want some dick and what you want is a walking dildo. Do you know how many straight guys would love to be the walking disposable dildo in that scenario? A lot. Now, it may not be all they ever want to be to all the women in their life, but as a sexual adventure, and that's all you're looking for, as a sexual adventure, there are lots of guys who would be so into this lesbian identified by dyke sitting on their dicks and treating them like an object. So, because for a lot of guys being treated like an object is a delightful change of pace as opposed to their depressing daily realities and seeding puberty. So go for it. Lead with that. You also might want to market yourself as someone who's interested in married to men by women who haven't explored sex with other women because as any listener to this show knows, there are a lot of them out there. And some of the moms out there in East Hampton may be just dying to get pussy for the first time in their lives. You could be swimming in rich lady married pussy and you could have all the walking dildos you could stand if you just led with who you are, what you want, and we're honest about it instead of trying to cover or mask for it. Everything you bring to the table, all of your desires are really marketable. So stop lying about them. Hey, Dan. I'm new to a city, and I recently met a male friend who introduced me to a group of friends. He then asked me if we would, if, if there was some interest there. Um, and I said, no, I'm not interested. And so tonight we hung out again in another group of people. And then afterwards, um, he asked me if I wanted to have a threesome with him and another friend. Is this creepy? Because I feel like it kind of was because I already said no to him. So what makes him think just because I'm bisexual, I would automatically want to have a threesome with him and a female friend. It seems weird. My advice would be to do what you did, to keep saying no. You could point out to him that he's no more attractive now that he's throwing in a bonus 
girl than he was before. You're not interested in having sex with him in a house, in a box, with a box, with a mouse. You don't want to have sex with him here or there. You don't want to have sex with him anywhere. You might want to pick up a secondhand copy of Green Eggs and Ham and revise it for him so that he gets the message. Yes, what he did was creepy. He literally refused to take no for the answer, created a new package and presented it to you to see if you might be interested in him plus girl. And you aren't because not the girl, but him. Make that clear to him. If he comes at you again, if he hits on you again, don't hang out with him in this mutual friend group and make it clear to your mutual friends that you aren't interested in hanging out with him and make it clear why. Tell them that he's hit on you and you said no and he's refused to take your no for an answer and has persisted. And at that point, it moves from just uncomfortable and awkward to unsafe, stocky, harassy, and unacceptable. So, yeah, he did something creepy. Keep being clear. If he doesn't fuck the fuck off now, refuse to hang out with him or anyone he hangs out with. Hi, Dan. I'm a 36 years old um, bisexual male. I've been married for six years, touching your relationship with my wife. I also have a boyfriend. Uh, we've been together for 10 years. I was his first love. He hasn't came out as gay yet. He just came out to me and a couple of friends. He moved from Phoenix to Texas to be close to me. And now he's dating. It just really hurt me to see that somebody that I love, you know, starting to date and not able to be together with him. Um, myself, I told my wife about my relationship with him and she's been really supportive for years. You know, see now she knows that I'm really hurting, um, but she doesn't know how to help me. And I, I, I want to see if you can maybe talk through with me and try to, to help me get past him. We've been fighting a lot the last three years, him and I, and you know, it's just getting harder. Um, we, we obviously, I, I love him and he loves me, but it's just we cannot be together. And that's probably the reason why, you know, we have been fighting so much. And yeah, now that he's a new chapter in his life and, you know, he's still wanting to maintain friends with me. But I told him we used to be intimate and love her and now I cannot be friends with him. And I don't want to see, you know, to see him um, anymore. Uh, but he's still trying to see me, you know, calling me at work, show up at work um, to talk. But this is too much for me. So your boyfriend moved from Phoenix to Texas to be closer to you and you two were in love, but he also moved from Phoenix to Texas so that he could date other men and so that he could fully come out. And I assume that you knew that that was part of the plan. You don't present that as a big change of plans that he was moving to Texas, not just to be closer to you, but also to date other people because maybe he would like to have a primary relationship too. You have a primary relationship with your wife. He was your boyfriend on the side and in another city. And wonderful that your wife has accommodated you and allowed you to be who you are fully sexually and have this other relationship. But your boyfriend wanted another relationship too. And sounds like he began to date someone. And either your boyfriend finally wanted to be someone's exclusive focus romantically and sexually or the guy he's dating wanted monogamy didn't want his boyfriend to be seeing or sleeping with not seeing that doesn't sound like that was banned because he'd like to have a friendship with you but didn't want him sleeping with the guy that he's been in love with and sleeping with for 10 years 
And so he wasn't the guy he's dating now, wasn't willing to accommodate you in the same way your wife was willing to accommodate your boyfriend. And that sucks. And you're hurting because you had everything kind of the way you wanted it. It was all set up in a way that really worked for you for a decade. And a decade is a nice long run. A decade with the sky, six years with the wife is a nice long run for having it just the way you want it. Now you can't have it just the way you want it. And that hurts. And you were dumped and you got broken up with and you're in pain. And some people, when they get dumped, can instantly shift gears and be friends and maybe suck up a little bit of the pain of seeing that person and not being able to suck that person's dick or kiss that person or be intimate in the ways in which you guys were intimate in the past. But some people can't make that instant shift. Some people need time away. They need the emotional wounds to heal. They need to go out there, fuck other people, have other relationships, whatever it is they need to do to cauterize the wound. They got to go do it. And seeing the person that just dumped you for somebody else has a way for most of us of keeping those wounds open and fresh and as painful as they were the day the dumping happened. Your ex-boyfriend, and it sounds like you may be the only man he's ever dated, the only relationship he's ever been in, he needs to understand that. You need to say to him, I can't see you. We can't be friends right now. It is too painful. Maybe a time will come in a couple of years or five years when we can be friends again, when it won't be painful for me to see you. But if you continue to call me, continue to show up at my work now, that means we will never be friends because you aren't respecting my boundaries. You aren't prioritizing in this moment my feelings of, of pain and hurt after having been discarded, after losing you know, my little world where everything was just the way I wanted it. It sounds like you have more than just the end of this relationship to grieve. All that said, if the guy this your ex is dating is willing to you know, allow you to be a part of his life too and you're the one who's withdrawing from him sexually because he's having sex with somebody else and he had previously been monogamous to you and you were that poly guy who had the spouse and the secondary partner and they were both monogamous to you and you can't allow for your wife or your other partner to have other sexual contacts, other intimate concurrent relationships, well then – you know, that's a kind of poly. I think it's a kind of limited selfish poly. It puts restrictions on your other partners. But if that's what they know they're signing up for, and that's the price of admission both those people are willing to pay to be with you, they're adults. They're allowed to make those choices, allowed to pay those prices. But if your boyfriend isn't willing to pay that price anymore and you're not willing to see him, if he is also having sex with another guy and intimately involved with another guy, well, all right. That's on you. The end of the relationship is on you. And you need to get busy finding another guy who can be your boyfriend who's only interested in being with you sexually. But you got to know. You've had it your way for a very long time. Maybe you think it's easy to get into this kind of setup. You got to know that most people in poly relationships whose partners have primaries, most of them, not all of them, but most would like to have primaries themselves. So what you had with this guy may be difficult to recreate, which is not to take away from your pain at this moment. You're suffering. You got dumped. That sucks. Some of my usual advice for the I'm in pain and I got dumped and it sucks doesn't stand right now. You know, a lot of my advice is go to the gym, sweat, fuck other people. All that's really hard to arrange in the midst of this raging pandemic, particularly in Texas. 
So do what you can. Go for long bike rides. Go for runs. Shower attention and affection on your wife who really does deserve it. And then be open to possibility with other guys in the future. You have a position to fill. Monogamous boyfriend for non-monogamous you. It may be a while before you can refill that position. In the meantime, take joy where you can. Hi, Dan. I'm a 58-year-old gay man. I was in a 30-year relationship that ended badly seven years ago. Kudos to my ex who chose life over living in a relationship that no longer served him, but he could have been kinder. Uh, He even moved a homeless kid in with us. We had taken in homeless gay kids before, uh, but this one was his boyfriend. I realized when we were going to to the pride that celebrated the Supreme Court decision upholding the unconstitutionality of Prop 8, that he wasn't there with me, his husband. Seven years later, I have a great life. I love my adult kids, great career. The divorce was the best gift I've ever been given. But I'd like to meet someone. As I tried to convince him for two years that he did want me, when he clearly didn't, I now have a problem of running away the second I feel that I'm not enough for someone else. On top of that, I'm not into anal. When I was in my 20s, I could have fucked a corpse, man. Now, at 58, that's more difficult. Uh, Being fucked is not pleasurable to me at all. And Jesus, I hate being painted. On every dating site, I'm asked, are you a top? And when I say I'm not into anal, they say, oh, so you're a bottom? It, It seems that I can't even start without being not enough for someone. I'm a nice looking guy. I'm athletic. I take care of myself. I am a nice guy. I just can't get past go. Any suggestions on how to get past not being enough and how to meet guys who are into great sex without anal? Please don't suggest the church potluck. That would be too much. In my experience, everyone at the church potluck is into anal. So I wasn't going to recommend trawling church potlucks. The not enough thing, you got to get past that. I, I realized that you were divorced, that your husband chose someone else after a, a, a long marriage. It doesn't have to be regarded as a, a failure, as painful as the end of your marriage was, as painful as those circumstances were for you in particular. I push back, as regular listeners know, against this idea that a marriage is a failure if both people get out of it alive. But this, am I enough? You are not. No one person is all things to another person or can be all things and putting that pressure on yourself to be all things, putting pressure on that other person to be everything for you adds stress and strain to, to relationships that have enough stress and strain sort of built into them that we don't want to heap unnecessary or avoidable stress and strain on our relationships. You just have to acknowledge the ways in which you may not be enough. You have to acknowledge the ways in which they aren't enough. Those are often the prices of admission that I talk about that you pay to be with someone. And it sounds like you're a catch and no anal may be the price of admission that some guy in the 75% of gay men who enjoy anal sex may be willing to pay. But there are 25% of gay men out there who just aren't really into anal, who are just into J-O, just into oral, rolling around or kink play or whatever it is, but aren't into anal sex. So your experience on the apps where you get to, I'm not into anal, and they ask you if you're a bottom, well, obviously that person's not a match for you. They want anal in their relationship, and you aren't going to be able to go there or provide that. So you both need to 
move on. And the quicker you move on from the overrepresented 75% of guys who want anal, the faster you will find somebody from the 25% that appeals to you and that you appeal to. This rejection that you're encountering is actually your friend because it's guys weeding them out. You're no longer having to waste your time or risk or actually make a, a larger emotional investment with some stranger on the internet you haven't met in person yet because they've let you know that anal is required, that they require anal. Now, there are some people in relationships, gay guys, particularly in open relationships, where the long-term partners or the committed partners, anal isn't something they do together, maybe because one doesn't like it, and anal is something that that partner gets to do with other people. That's a way of working around those feelings of not enough. That is actually a way to be enough for someone, where there's this kind of disconnect or discrepancy in interests, where we do all these things together. And one of the ways that I prove to you that I am the right partner for you is like we have this emotional connection. We get along. We have a, a wonderful partnership. And being with me doesn't mean you have to go without X, whatever X might be, because you're allowed to seek that outside the relationship. And maybe there's one or two things I'm allowed to seek outside the relationship. More common in gay relationships, particularly for gay couples who've been together a long time, but not unheard of in straight land. There are guys in straight land who have great sexual relationships and great connection with their wives and they have wonderful sex, but he's into, you know, hardcore uh, BDSM and he sees a dominatrix once every few months with his wife's blessing. And so being with her means he can have everything he has with her and enjoys with her and this too. And it makes him happier to be with her and hopefully, if he's in the right headspace, more grateful to her. You could play that role. You could nail that in a relationship with a guy who likes some anal, but not anal all the time, not anal every time. But you just got to be honest. And when you say you, you were, when you were younger, you could fuck and fuck and fuck, and now you can't, please think about trying Viagra, other ED meds. They really do work. And also, toys are a great option. Toys are a wonderful way for two people to have sex a great big dildo in your ass, even a strap-on dildo strapped onto somebody who has a dick that isn't an anal, isn't a consolation prize. It's actually pretty wonderful and hot sex. And if you're with somebody who's a bottom and they like that filled up and fucked feeling, you can still provide it to them even if you can't get hard yourself or sustain an erection long enough to do anal. You can give him everything he wants. You can be enough. Dildos come in so many enormous sizes. You can be more than enough. Hey Dan, my boyfriend and I have been dating for over a year now and everything's great except for one element of our sex life. I'm versed and so is he, however, 99% of the sex we have involves me bottoming. When I top him, he's never able to take it for too long, roughly 10 minutes. He's also usually completely flaccid throughout foreplay and while I'm fucking him. He's been suffering performance anxiety issues for most of this year since I've been more vocal about my sexual needs for longer sex and to top. When I'm bottoming, he has no issues at all, he's totally hard and can fuck for much longer. In his past, he's bottomed heaps for others and has told me stories of bottoming for lots of guys all night long. He's seeing a sex therapist on my advice, but so far I've heard no real reasons as to what the holdup is with me. He's floated the idea that he may see me as a bottom or in the bottom role, as that's how we began fucking. He's told me though that he does genuinely want a bottom for me. Lately, he said that I've been topping him really well, but I can't help feel that he's lying to me to protect my feelings, because... The sex, is, the sex is short, so he can't really take it for too long, and he's flaccid the whole time. He always finishes me off, but due to him being flaccid, I'm, I'm unable to return the experience. 
I'm trying not to let my ego get the better of me as I've told him I'm here to support him through this, but I can't help think that I'm the problem and it hurts feeling like I can't make my partner happy. The past couple of times I've really shut down after topping him because the rejection just feels too strong. I know he's dealing with performance anxiety and I'm changing the way I approach sex so that there's less pressure for him on all fronts. I want to know what your theory regarding why my partner struggles bothering for me as opposed to with others, how I can better support my partner, and any tools or ideas of things we could try to work towards him being able to bottom for me. It could be your dick. Maybe your dick is bigger. Maybe your dick is thicker or wider. Maybe it's more difficult for him to take. It could be that, you know, when he was out there bottoming all night long for other guys, he sustained an injury that he hasn't told you about or that he's not aware of. Maybe he has a fissure. Sometimes fissures are internal and you can't see them on the visible part of the sphincter. If he doesn't have a good doctor who's gay supportive or gay himself and he can't ask his doctor to check out his butt, then he might want to get a new doctor who can. Sounds like there's a lot of pressure and anxiety that's attaching itself here to those moments when you top him. And that kind of pressure and anxiety, even in the absence of your dick being a little girthier than he's used to or can comfortably accommodate or an injury that he's not aware of, that pressure and anxiety can make anal sex much more problematic. And if he goes into anal sex acutely conscious of the fact that if he can't last more than 10 minutes or if he can't get hard that you're going to be upset He's far less likely to at least get hard and probably less likely also to last more than 10 minutes. So you need to accept what works now in the hopes that you guys can build on it and make it joyful, which means for the moment accommodating his limitations and taking yes for an answer. You know, you're fucking him and he's flaccid and the story you're telling yourself is I can't make my partner happy, which is ruining the sex you or ruining that aspect of your sex life for you. What you should be telling yourself is it makes my partner happy to make me happy in this way. So I am, even if he's not hard, making him happy. And it is possible to enjoy physical sensations, to enjoy sex, for a man to enjoy sex without getting hard. I don't know if you're particularly interested. I'm not. I'm not myself particularly interested, but I have watched for research purposes a lot of fisting videos. And one of the things that's common in fisting videos, and these guys, guys who get fisted, generally want to be fisted. It's not something that someone does that they hate. You know, guys in these fisting videos love it. And it is really common in fisting videos and for fisting players that the bottom doesn't get hard. They're just grooving or vibing, as the kids say or said, until they heard me say it, at which point they promptly stopped just vibing on the physical sensations or really the psychological sort of feelings that that kind of total invasion stirs up, you know, being somebody's meat puppet in that way. So your boyfriend is trying. You're likelier to get where you want to go, which is for him to enjoy anal sex with you more if you let him try, if you take that yes for an answer. And then you, in a collaborative way, figure out how to make this more pleasurable for both of you. Now it seems like you guys should engage in a lot of foreplay and get yourself relatively close. So those 10 minutes of fucking him are satisfying. You can do a frottage before you enter him. You can also take breaks and resume fucking him or he can blow you and you can roll around and jack off and then enter him for the last 
five to ten minutes and come in. And that is one way that a lot of people have and enjoy anal sex because those guys who can get fucked for 45 minutes straight, they're relatively rare and you know most people can get fucked for 45 minutes or an hour and a half straight during anal are in porn and warping our expectations of what is normal or possible for everyone who's into anal penetration. But if you can approach it more collaboratively, figure out what works, roll around, mutual masturbation, a lot of oral sex before you penetrate him, maybe then if you aren't refusing to take, it makes him happy to make me happy, therefore he's happy even if he's not hard for an answer, you might get to a place where he can go for 12 minutes, he can go for 14 minutes, maybe even to a place ultimately where he can outlast you. A lot of guys who have some difficulty Bottoming, find that poppers really help. I'm not recommending poppers. I am just sharing some conventional gay wisdom that sometimes poppers help a guy relax his sphincters and really groove on it. Doesn't always make a guy hard. Some people use poppers and it makes their dicks go away, but it makes their holes insatiable. And that's okay. You know, I'm all for the top who wants the bottom to enjoy it. And it is, you know, the most obvious signal of the bottoms enjoying it if they are hard and stroking themselves. I often direct straight guys to watch a little gay porn and straight women to watch a little gay porn if they want to see what it looks like for someone to come while being penetrated. And what are the guys doing who are being penetrated, who are coming while being penetrated? They are touching themselves. And so I'm often directing straight women to watch a little gay porn and then get over their hangups and straight men to watch a little gay porn and get over their hangups about women touching themselves during penetration. But it's not always the case. It doesn't work that way for everybody. And, you know, there are people who, you know, give a really aggressive, uh, taxing, physically exhausting blowjob. They're deep threading somebody and they are rock hard the whole time. And there are other people who give that blowjob and enjoy it just as much as the guy who's rock hard while giving that kind of blowjob who are soft. Because their effort and their, their arousal isn't about their own genitalia. They're turned on you know, from the chin up by what they're doing for that other person, by the pleasure they're providing. And that is, a, that is perfectly legitimate. You should check in with somebody who's not showing obvious signs of arousal to make sure that they're into it, that they're not miserable while they're providing you with this pleasure. But if they enjoy it and they assure you that this is something that they enjoy even in the absence of a hard-on, that's a yes. And you need to take that yes for an answer. Hi, Dan. I am a straight female living on the West Coast. So I met this guy about four weeks ago. And, you know, we've seen each other probably a couple times a week. I really like him. He's fit and cute and tall. And we have good conversations about family and friends. And everything was going pretty normally. Um, Like, the chemistry was really good. And I thought I liked him. I mean, I think I still like him but you know even before we had had sex he made a comment saying like oh I hope we can open up more with each other and I thought it was a little bit strange at the time because I thought we had opened up to each other but a couple days ago he did open up a bit more and um, let me know that he is really into watching his partners have sex with other people he has very specific rules around it, like very specific things he wants to watch. He wants it all on video. And it's something he's done with two other partners in the past. 
he like wants all these different scenarios played out. I mean, to me, it sounds just like a porn roster, but with his partner and then whatever guys. And he's been very open. We've had a long conversation about it over the phone. He has, you know, really specific reasons uh, why he likes this. And, you know, he's answered all of my million questions. So am I crazy for even considering this? I've never done anything like this before. I've never had anyone ask me to do something like this before. Like I even asked him what happens if we break up? What happens to the videos? How do I know this is not ending up online? I'm a really private person. I don't even send nudes to people with my face in the picture. So I'm curious about this one. It, It kind of turns me on, I guess. I'm not sure. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Venus, host of the Venus Cuckoldress podcast. Hey, Venus, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. So how did a nice girl like you wind up hosting a podcast like that? Your podcast is about cuckolding. <laughs> you talk about being a cuckoldress, being in cuckold relationships. How did you A, get into cuckolding and B, decide to start a podcast about it? Yeah. So about five years ago, I came across a guy um, on Tinder, actually, who introduced me to the idea of cuckolding. And I immediately just dove right in, loved it. I thought, this is this is something amazing. But I had never heard of it before. So this was like all new for me. And, um, and so once that relationship ended, I was like, okay, this is what I really want in my life. And I thought I found this real gem of a kind of relationship. I wonder how many other women don't know about it. So, um, that's why I started writing a blog and that was just my initial goal was just to sort of, you know, share this really great relationship dynamic that I had found with other people. Cause when you find something really great, you just want to like share it. So then I started podcasting. And, and the podcast is amazing. I, I have to say it's, it's, it's so Thank informative. You. I think it's a great resource. Uh, I would recommend it right up there with the Keys and Anklets podcast that I know you've also been a guest on. For anybody who's curious yeah. about cuckolding and the dynamics of it, you decide, you, you've described on your podcast cuckolding as a one-sided monogamous relationship or a one-sided open relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically the gist of it. I mean, there's lots of variations within that. Um, but it's really where he's totally sexually faithful to her and she is not to him. So she's got these extra sexual experiences and it's really kind of like a two way street where he gives her the gift of sexual non-monogamy, but um, she gives him the gift of being involved in that some way. And they both completely love it that way. And it's almost always men who initiate the conversation about cuckolding. Most of the people out there who seem to fantasize about cuckolding, want to be in a cuckolding relationship are men. Um, you would like more women to know about this as a relationship option, at least in, and in, to some extent as a matchmaker, because you hear from so many guys who are seeking this kind of relationship and they can't find women who have ever heard of it or when they hear about it the first time, don't react in terror and run screaming. Yeah, I mean, this kind of relationship is really incredible. And I just feel like if more women knew about it in that way, and not just, you know, in some stereotypical way that they might think of it, um, then they would 
really appreciate that kind of beautiful emotional dynamic that is cuckolding. They might really love it, or at least, like you said, um, consider it as a type of relationship that they might might try at least. But yeah, it's usually coming from men. <laughs> you know, thanks to, it, it does seem, you know, I've been writing about this for a long time. I think the first time I wrote a column about cuckolding was 25 years ago uh, when almost mm-hmm. no one had heard of it. But it is more and more popular. I think there's more awareness of it now. There's more podcasts like yours. There's also cuckolding is a porn genre. There's a lot of people on Twitter who are anonymously, you know, talking about their cuckolding lifestyles and their and uh, cuckolding as a lifestyle, as a relationship model. Um, and despite it being more and more popular, and, and you're a fan of this relationship model, you also think the increasing popularity is a problem. Why is that? Yeah, because I feel like um, this. Uh... It's important for women to know what a real loving cuckolding relationship looks like. And that's not always what they would get when they look online, when they look online or in, even in like the porn genre. For someone who it knows nothing about this as a woman, I think the immediate reaction would be like, oh, God, no. <laughs> like, that is not what I want. And yet, like, I feel like if they could just understand it, what it really actually is, they might be like, you know what, that's sounds like something I might want to try. Well, if you look at vanilla sex exclusively through porn, you might think, God, no. Missionary position, heterosexual <laughs> intercourse. Ah, sometimes if you're only looking at porn, even that can look terrifying or uncomfortable or unpleasant. Right? Um, I, I have spoken with, yeah. with some women who went there, uh, you know, who agreed to sleep with other men to please their partner, to cuckle their partner. Then usually there's an element of humiliation involved in cuckolding as opposed to just open or hot wifing. And mm-hmm. some of these women, you know, they agreed to do it after their husbands or boyfriends pleaded with them for years. And then their boyfriends or husband turned around and immediately slut shamed their wives that, you know, they had a meltdown and they blamed her for what had just happened, even though it was his idea. And he begged for a decade. How can a woman who's who may be <laughs> interested in cuckolding and hasn't been approached by anybody, how can she tell those guys apart? The guy who's in it for the right reasons Uh, is going to enjoy it and isn't going to turn around as some women fear. And I think that fear is justifiable. Isn't going to turn around and, and slut shame her immediately afterwards. Yeah, that's a really tough one. Um, (laughs) I don't know. And I do agree that some guys, you know, the cuckolding idea, the idea of it is a huge turn on the emotional complexities of actually going through it is something that uh, requires a great deal of emotional strength and strength within the relationship as well. So some guys can um, use that sort of cuck angst that they go through, that kind of emotional soup of, you know, uh, jealousy and being turned on and love and trust and all of those things and anxiety and really use that in a positive way. And then there's some guys who just, you know, fall apart. Mm. And unfortunately, yeah, if that happens after the first time when she's tried it, she's going to be like completely turned off by it. But I'm not sure I know exactly how to tell those two guys apart um, when it comes to husbands. But online, there's a lot of guys who just want to jerk off to the idea of it, but who would never actually follow through. What's a backpack cuckold? <laughs> the backpack cuckold. So um, I, I, in one of my episodes, I talked a little bit about um, what it's like to be a woman online and be approached by these different kinds of, of, of cucks who, who want to talk to you. And um, the backpack cucks are the ones who usually are, they have like a whole 
list of um, fetishes and kinks that they're into, a lot of BDSM play and things like that. And they come into cuckolding from that angle. Mm -hmm. So cuckolding for them is like, um, it's a, it's a, it's more of an, a, an ex- extreme kind of cuckolding. So they usually are into like the forced by aspect of cuckolding or the feminization um, of, of themselves and um, very, very submissive. So to be approached by one of those backpack cucks online, usually the very first thing that they say to you in the conversation is something like, are you going to make me uh, wear women's panties or I really would like for you to peg me or, you know, those, they come at it, ha- at it from that angle. So, so, so their cuckolding is one of the things that they've sort of like one of their, in their bag of tricks, in their backpack. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's talk about the call. So here's a case where it may not be pure cuckolding. Cuckolding usually involves an element of of humiliation uh, or as some cucks have described it, emotional masochism. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that they like to, to, to suffer in this like controlled way, enjoy that their partner is with somebody else, but also be, you know, have their inadequacies real or, you know, imaginary rubbed in their faces. Um, and there is sometimes this element of, of humiliation, degradation. That's not the case here. You know, this guy likes watching his partners sleep with other men, likes videotaping it, likes directing it. It seems to me that in a, you know, most cuckolding, healthy, functional cuckolding relationships, it's about freeing, the, the woman is freer to, you know, has more sort of latitude, agency. This isn't the case here. That's not what he's offering, my caller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least not yet. <laughs> I think um, I, they're very new in their relationship. So it might be that he actually does enjoy to be teased about it, but hasn't been able to admit that to her yet. Who knows? Or maybe that's something that will evolve down the road. Who knows? But yeah, it it does seem like he really wants to be the one that is the director in these scenarios and very specific about exactly what he wants. And she's just sort of like expected to, you know, play along. My spidey senses were tingling because, you know, I've heard from those women who were slut shamed and there's just something about her only being able to do the things that he's told her to do or has given her permission to do. I worry about in the moment him blowing up because she put a foot wrong because she got carried away, you know, just like caught a groove with the guy that she's having sex with and, you know, pulled a move that wasn't on the approved list. What happens then? Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. Um, And I, you know, I was uncomfortable with that because it seems like there, there's a lot of wants on his list of things that he's kind of putting out there. But um, I didn't get a sense of anything that, um, you know, he, that she was wanting in, in return. So it seemed very one-sided to me, um, which is kind of like, where's the empowerment in it for her in that situation? And he's basically just taking all of the power and control in, in that situation. And yeah, if she makes a mistake, then what happens? then? (laughs) It's also possible that that turns her on the idea of kind of being his puppet, a marionette in that scenario of, of giving him that control over her. She said she was interested and aroused by, you know, what he was proposing but I would say to the caller, and I think you would agree, Venus, that she really needs to pin him down on these limitations yeah. and what exactly it is that he's asking and what he's offering her. Because, you know, if he just wants her to follow orders and that turns her on, okay. 
but then he needs to be clear that that's what they're doing, that he is the director, she is the actress, and she can only do exactly what he tells her to do. And, you know, that that doesn't mm-hmm. sound like it'd be very much fun for me, probably not much fun for you, Venus, but somebody who's turned on by being <laughs> controlled in that way, that could be what's in it for her. That's a very good point. Yes, <laughs> that's true. But I do agree that... Um, it, it, she needs to understand exactly what the expectations are from her. And if she's not comfortable with, um, with that, then she needs to put out her, her expectations and her rules and her boundaries for that relationship. And the video. She's only known this guy four weeks and he <laughs> wants to videotape it. Yeah, no. Yeah. I know. I thought, you know what? That's a big ask mm-hmm. um, for for any woman, but for for a woman who you barely know, that's a very big ask. Um, and there's so many other ways of of doing it. You don't have to, you know, um, risk your privacy with uh, videos floating around. You, there's other ways that you can do it. You can, you know have a record a voice clip or you can, um, you know, create a mental picture in your mind and rehash that later. And that's a lot of fun. You can have a courtroom <laughs> sketch artist show up and draw it. <laughs> but, but neither of us, oh neither God. of us, of course, thinks the caller is crazy for considering this. That's what she was. That was your penultimate question. But she did ask, how can she mm-hmm. be sure the videos won't end up online? And you can't be sure they won't end up online. No, no. People can be vindictive. It, it, Revenge porn is a thing. Uh, sometimes people share yeah. a video in confidence with someone who it turns out can't be trusted. Phones get hacked. Computers get stolen. Yeah, Sh- it's never safe. It's, yeah, <laughs> the only way to make sure a video doesn't, you know, it, the only way to ensure that there's no chance a video can ever end up online is not to make that video. Yeah, exactly. So if that's like a... Um, uh, a, a point that he is not willing to give up, then I don't see how that's going to work. <laughs> okay, But yeah, it's a big ask. So, uh, so we, we, are we giving this a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Like obviously they had to, need to have more conversation. And if she's uncomfortable with the video existing in the world and possibly ending up on the internet at some point, no video, that might be a deal breaker for him considering his very detailed list of requirements here. But yeah. maybe uh, you could say something to her, Venus, about there being other guys out there if she's interested in a one-sided open relationship who might be a better fit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the cuckolding, there's such a variation that is practiced um, with hot wifing or cuckolding. And, you know, I would encourage her to at least seek out some different opportunities that might suit her better. Because I will say that these kind of relationships, when you are able to um, experience these sexual, incredibly intimate, emotionally intimate sexual experiences together, um, that level of bonding, that level of connection, that level of trust that you have is like next level. So um, it's, it's like, um, the magic that that happens within these cuckolding relationships, if it's with somebody who you really love and trust and, and everything kind of lines up, it is something that is so incredibly beautiful. So I would absolutely encourage her to um, keep looking. If this is not the guy, but he's actually piqued your interest and you're turned on by the idea of this, 
I would absolutely keep looking because there are tons of guys out there <laughs> who really want this. <laughs> you just have to dig a little, like, like any other pile of guys, <laughs> you just have to dig a little till you find one of the good ones. Just contact me. I have a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> Venus, host of the Venus Cuckoldress podcast. Uh, thank you so much. I've been uh, wanting to talk to you for the, the longest time. I hope you'll come back on the show. Maybe next time we'll have a cuckolding question that's a little, uh, a little more over the plate than this one. But this was my excuse to get you on the show finally. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Dan. I am a 38-year-old queer cis woman living in Colorado, and I'm going to try to get through this without crying. My partner of 17 years, married for 10, and I decided to open up our relationship a year and a half ago. A couple months in, uh, we met a couple um, who broke up after we saw a couple times, and the woman wanted to continue seeing my partner. And anyway, a year has gone by now and they've, they're still dating. Um, during quarantine, they both exchanged the L word and we've been trying to be really communicative and honest. And I've been trying to be as open about my feelings of jealousy as possible. And I've also been trying to deal with my abandonment issues and we've been, you know, listening to all of the poly podcasts and reading all of the books. And anyway, I just feel like I have met this sort of dead end with dating. Of course, I have a partner who I love and I trust, um, but I also am seeking connection and emotional connection. This quarantine and dating in general I has just been a nightmare. I feel like the story that I hear over and over and over again is men that just do not have any interest in being and any emotional connection, investing anything into a relationship that, quote, has no future because I'm already married. And I'm just wondering if you have some advice, like even on these, you know, supposedly poly-friendly dating apps like Field or Open, it just is a lot of men that are really just looking for a quick fuck. And um, anyway, I I just feel so disheartened and so like hopeless right now. I I don't know what to do. And it's, it's just been a really hard adjustment to deal with, um, there. Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't do it. it. Turns out it's been really hard to deal with their, uh, relationship being so consistent and seemingly to accelerate during this time. And anyway, yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you have any advice, I'd really appreciate hearing from you. Thanks, Dan. First and least importantly about those quick fucks that so many men are out there looking for. And maybe my sample is skewed because I know a lot of gay men, but most of the people I know in long-term relationships, poly or not, it started as a quick fuck. Two people got together because there was mutual sexual attraction and mutual interest established on an app or in a bar, or in Instagram DMs, and they fucked around, and they just clicked. And someone who thought they were just looking for sex, for a quick, impersonal, blown load, ended up like wanting to see that person again. And they both felt that way, and they kept seeing each other. And then a primary relationship was born, or a secondary or tertiary relationship was born. So I would advise you not to rule out 
all men that you encounter online who may think that a quick fuck is all that they're looking for because they may be looking for something more, but they don't know it yet and they won't realize it until they hook up with you. And then some of those men are going to reconsider after they've hooked up with you, their assumptions, their priors about getting involved with someone that they quote unquote have no future with. If the only future that you can imagine growing out of a romantic relationship is marriage and monogamy and family, then yes, they don't have that kind of future with you. But there are different kinds of futures that people can have together. And you would hope that guys who are on dating apps for open relationships or more sexually adventurous kinds of dating apps would know that already. But sometimes people don't know that until someone explains that to them. You could be the person who explains that to them. That doesn't obligate you if you've explained that to them to keep seeing them if you don't want to see them or to fuck them that one time if you don't want to fuck them that one time. You know, I, I'm loath to say you don't have to take whatever for an answer, but when someone tells you that they have these assumptions that, you know, a poly relationship has no future or a relationship with someone who's already married to someone else has no future, you don't necessarily have to take that for an answer because if they knew more about poly relationships, they would realize that that wasn't true. All that said, poly isn't for everyone and it may not be for you. You are in a lot of pain right now, but it sounds like part of what's paining you is not that poly isn't what you want, but that you have to see your husband have right now what you want and don't have, which is that secondary partner who is at least making an investment in you, if not yet in love with you, at least willing to you know, be open to that kind of a future with you, the kind of future that your husband's girlfriend is open to. Yeah, it's a little tricky in, in open and poly relationships, and poly relationships in particular, because if one person is only comfortable with their partner having, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend when they do, well, those things sometimes don't track. You could meet a guy tomorrow, end up in a committed poly relationship with that guy and, and your husband and your husband's girlfriend could dump him. And then what then? If your husband is in pain looking at you and your boyfriend together when he no longer has a girlfriend, are you then required to dump your boyfriend? These are things that you and your husband need to think about and talk about. If you say you've been doing the reading, listening to the poly podcast, that's good. But I don't think that you have clarity on, uh, on this issue or handle on this particular kind of poly particular unique to poly relationships, jealousy is seeing your partner have what you want and don't have and not feeling good about that, not feeling that compersion that they talk about in the poly podcasts and in the books, feeling jealous and hurt. And it compounds the hurt that you've felt or feel about the rejection you've come in for from these guys on dating apps. And maybe your husband can help you talk through that. And sometimes the unexpected ally in a situation like this where you are feeling jealous is your partner's other partner. Hearing that person empathize, sympathize, even strategize with you about finding someone for yourself too, uh, or just validating your feelings and, and honoring them and knowing that this is hard for you uh, and that you're still allowing it to go on. You're not playing the veto card. If indeed you have a veto card, that other person being empathetic can help you feel better about that other person being in your husband's life. So you have to risk in a committed poly relationship, sometimes being vulnerable and weepy in front of not just your partner, but your partner's partner as well. 
all that said, you know, been together 17 years. You opened the relationship up less than two years ago. If this is where you are and always are in this much pain, well, then it might not be right for you. And if it's not right for you, poly relationships, then you're going to have to revisit these negotiations with your husband that are going to be a lot trickier now because there's a third person involved here who has feelings too and whose feelings also have to be taken into consideration. A third person who shouldn't be discarded like a used busted fleshlight without some consideration, compassion. Not saying that you can't ask your husband to monogamous back up if that's what you need. But to stick that dismount in a humane, considerate, and compassionate way that doesn't result in your husband's girlfriend feeling terrible and then gun-shy about ever getting into a poly relationship ever again is going to be tricky. But where you're at right now, a lot of people who are in poly relationships and happy and content have been right where you are, myself included, in a lot of pain during this difficult transition. And I don't say this to make you feel like you have to stick it out if it's not right for you. But I would hope that you would reach out to other people, poly people, maybe go to some like poly Zoom meeting, online meetups if they're out there, poly support groups if they're out there. And, you know, if you've read the books or listened to the poly podcast, maybe there are some references or sources there for you that could direct you to them. And it might help if you spoke to some other people and they opened up with you about whether or not they've ever been where you're at right now. Because you may find that these feelings what you're going through right now, the valley of the shadow of poly misery is a place that other people have walked through, navigated, got past and are happy they stuck it out. Hi, Dan. I'm a queer woman in my 30s. I have been dating my partner for about nine months and I am very, very sensitive to smell and fragrances, colognes, perfumes all really bother me unless they're very, very light and barely noticeable. And I generally always tell people that I'm dating this very early on. And I know that I told my partner this when we first started dating. And I think, you know, for a while, he really didn't wear cologne around me. Or, you know, if he did, it would be really light. But recently, I think maybe he's forgotten and he's just really like dousing it feels like he's dousing his whole body in cologne and it is just so unpleasant to me. It's, it feels like my nostrils are on fire and it makes me nauseous and it definitely turns me off. So I really need to tell him, but it's hard to figure out how to tell someone what to do with their body. And I am you know, worried about just infringing on his like personal choice to wear cologne and also worried about hurting his feelings. And so I think my question is, A, do I have the right to ask him to stop wearing cologne around me? And B, what is a way to do that that doesn't seem controlling or just hurtful? fragrances, colognes, perfumes. I would add to that list scented candles and duty-free shops. The way they are positioning duty-free shops and airports now is just so inconsiderate for people like me and you, caller, people with chemical sensitivities, people like me with asthma, serious 
asthma. Oh my God, duty-free shop. They used to be this thing you had to like go out of your way to get to. Now they're this fucking obstacle course you have to clear before you can get to your fucking gate. Remember air travel? I guess right now I would kill to be holding my breath and running through the duty-free shop, but oh my God, it drives me crazy. I am with you. I'm on your side. I have a distinct and pronounced bias where this is concerned. I like it when my husband, my boyfriend, I like it when they smell like themselves as opposed to as I like to call it, apologies, and please nobody report back to Terry that I said that. Very expensive rat piss, which is what cologne always smells like to me. And it burns my nostrils, gives me asthma attacks, and makes my eyes itch. And here's the thing. You, caller, you told this guy when he first started dating you that you were sensitive to colognes and perfumes and that if he wanted your body to be on his body, then that shit couldn't be on his body. And he apparently took that seriously for a little bit, but then did that thing that a lot of people with who don't have chemical sensitivities, who don't get that sensation of burning nostrils, burning eyes, wheezing, strained lungs when they inhale this shit, where he's probably convinced himself that it's all in your head. And the fact that you didn't immediately object the first time you smelled that shit on him and your eyes began to burn and your nose began, nostrils began to burn. You didn't say something to him that reinforced in his head, the idea that it really wasn't a problem. So he's now doubling and tripling down on the rat piss. So you don't want to be controlling. You don't want to tell him what he can and can't do with his body. Here's how you finesse that conversation. Repeat after me. Hey, I'm not telling you what to do with your body. I'm just telling you what I'm not going to do with mine. And I am not going to put my body in the same room with your body when you're wearing cologne. So the choice you have to make is really between me and cologne. If you want to be with cologne, you can be alone with cologne. If you want to be with me, you can't wear the cologne. It's your choice. You get to make it about your body, just as I get to make choices about my own body. And my body isn't going to be in the room with anybody who's wearing a bucket of rat piss. And just for, you know, future reference, don't be such a fucking scrot. Don't be such a weak and vulnerable ball sack, what some people might call a pussy. We call ball sacks around here. So sensitive to heat and touch. And you, you gotta say this. You, you should have already told him this. You should have objected the first time. You made it clear at the outset that one of the prices of admission that he would have to pay to be with you was he could no, he no longer would have to wear cologne and could save that money and spend it on something better. <laughs> Make a donation to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee with the money you used to spend on cents. So when this first started happening, you should have spoken up right away. He was doing something that he knew that could potentially cause you discomfort. And instead of letting him know that it was causing you discomfort, you sat there in the corner wringing your hands, wondering how you could have this conversation with him without hurting his feelings. When he was literally demonstrating that to him, your feelings didn't matter. And you didn't speak up because you were worried that he might get the impression that you were so concerned about his feelings that you couldn't advocate for yourself. Not in a horrible, shitty, screaming, yelling, throwing things sort of way at that moment or in the moment, but advocate for yourself at all until you got permission from some fag with a podcast. No. Speak up for yourself next time without call. Well, or call. You can always call me, and I'm always happy to uh, encourage people to speak up. But you could have and should have, and next time you will speak up before you call the Sex Advice Podcast. 
All right, before we get to response calls, let's read your tweets. Yen Yaps tweets, Hey, at Fake Dan Savage, my father-in-law bought me a puzzle for my birthday. He keeps describing it as an interesting pandemic experience you two could share. After listening to all the pandemic sex stories on the Savage Lovecast, now I can't stop laughing at this phrase. Apron Boobs Face tweets, Hey, at Fake Dan Savage, at what age should teenagers start listening to the Savage Lovecast? I'm looking forward to having your help talking to my kids about stuff. I think what a parent should do, a responsible parent should do, is to absolutely positively forbid your children to listen to my Lovecast at age 13. That is how you guarantee that they will listen to my podcast starting at age 13, which I don't think is too young. And Kirsten, American living in Belgium, tweets, so as a perpetually nosy and curious person, I listen to a lot of relationship sex advice podcasts. It's almost as good as a consistent source of gossip. Plus, there are some decent insights into interacting with people. So win-win. Here are some of my favorites and topping the list of Kristen's favorites, Savage Lovecast. Of course, it's been around forever. The call and topics are delightfully varied while still feeling relatable. And the advice is usually compassionate and level-headed. It's always the first one I listen to on Tuesdays. Thank you, Kirsten, for listening in. I love some of the other ones that you mentioned as well. Fox Given, Pillow Talk, Guys We Fucked, Multi-Amory. Kristen's got a great playlist of sex and relationship podcasts, and I'm honored to be on top of it. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast, and now your response calls. Hi, Dan. Calling about episode 721 with the woman in the lose-lose position of trying to decide whether to tell her boyfriend that uh, someone at a party uh, she had had a one-night stand with. I love your show. I didn't love your advice on this one. I think in gay land, it is much more common to be very chill about that situation. Uh, I'm calling from straight land to say that I think it is much less common in straight land than I think your your counsel sort of suggested there's something pathetic or, pathetic or pitiful about um, having feelings in that situation. Um, I, I don't agree with that. I think if it was me, if I was the boyfriend, I would have feelings about knowing that someone at, at a party had had sex with my girlfriend. I don't think that would make me pathetic. I think it would be worse for me if I found out later about it and was ignorant while I was at the party and I was sort of cluelessly bumbling around and talking to people and then later heard this, I think I would feel disrespected. I, I think I might even imagine that this one night stand person was kind of smirking at, at me being ignorant of this. And so while I wouldn't be happy to hear this news, I would sure want to know it. I think that's the more respectful way to handle it. So that's one man's counsel. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about the young gay man in episode 721 whose doctor told him to stand up and display his genitals on the webcam with a proctologist. I totally disagree with your doctor friend who said that this was okay. Dan, I found this call horrifying. I felt so badly for this young man. I don't care if people are hanging out in Zoom on their sweats. Those people are probably accountants. Any medical professional should know that any on-camera examination should be done in a way that is comfortable for the patient. The doctor should have been in a professional setting and should have offered alternatives when he sensed that his patient was uncomfortable. You know, can you take more photographs? Um, can you describe what's going on? Do you have any other, um, other bumps on your genitals. This doctor totally took advantage of his patient, and frankly, I would report him. 
Hi, Dan. Just calling from Maine in response to the caller whose sister is getting married soon. There was a wedding in Maine recently that had about 65 guests, and so far 24 people have tested positive in conjunction with the event. It's all over the news now, and I'd highly recommend sending that to the caller's sister. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Better yet, use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Keep sending your dirty stories to 5-Minute Fuck, a new podcast that will be coming your way soon. Go to Five Min, that's F I V E M I N, fuck.com to learn more about submitting your sexy story. We have an expert joining us on an upcoming show about DS, that's Dom Sub Relationships. If you have a question about DS, give us a call, share your question now, and we will get an expert on it. We want to thank Alex, Frida, Samantha, Andy, and Jeffrey, who've all subscribed to the Magnum Edition of Savage Lovecast in the last week. Thank you very much for your support. Another way to support the show is just to post about it to your social media. We really appreciate it when we see everybody's tweets and Instagram stories about the show. We don't do any advertising for the show. It helps spread the word. Thank you. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow the Venus Cuckoldress on Twitter at Cuckoldress V, and you can learn more about her and find your way to her podcast at VenusCuckoldress.com. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Love Cast. Thank you for downloading.